Well, good evening. That was decent. That's a good job. Hey, um, do you have any? Do you have any pet peeves? Like, for example, when a preacher gets up and they're like, "Good evening," and then you never know. You know, it's not always. It's never good enough, right? They're always going to ask you again. Do you have any pet peeves? We don't have to like share them now because we we don't really have time for that. But I'm going to share one of mine with you. Um, I don't. I don't enjoy people that ask me to do something especially if they ask me to do a favor for them. And then they stand and watch and give me instruction the whole time that I'm doing it. You, any of you want to confess that with me tonight? Even though she's here, um, sometimes my wife will give me a, a, a job. It's a simple job. For example, this afternoon when we got home from church, she said, hey, I need you to, to warm that meat up leftovers because that's what we did today for lunch. Uh, I need you to warm that meat up in the microwave. But then right after that it was, but make sure you put a paper towel over it. And make sure you don't do it for too long. Wait a minute, or is, that on, is that on a plate that is microwave safe? <laughs> and because I'm the fallen person that I am, I just look and sometimes I roll my eyes and sometimes it's like, it, I can, I'm a mostly grown man. I feel like I can microwave leftover meat. And in the back of my mind, the whole time, I would never tell her this, um, but in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, I'm really glad she said that about the plate because I totally would have ruined this one that's not supposed to go in the microwave. I'd never say that out loud, but sometimes like even the things that I feel like are reminders or someone telling me how to do something that you think like, surely you know how to do this. But sometimes I need the reminder. Are you with me? Tonight, I feel like that's what's happening. Colossians chapter 4 is where we are. We're going to go verses 2 through 4. And Paul, as he's writing, he's done all this, this that you've been going through, what seems like forever on Sunday nights through Colossians. Um, but we're, we're getting towards the end. I thought that the preacher was going to let me have a little bit more leeway and finish it up for him. But he only gave me like three verses. Uh, but what's happening here in these three verses, Paul's really telling them how to pray. He's, he's addressing Christians, and so you would think to yourself, like, well, surely Christians know how to pray. We've known from very little ages that, that praying is really just talking to God. I, I, I talk to my boys all the time. We pray together on, on a nightly basis. Um, and so we'll, we'll talk to them. Would you like to pray tonight? Sometimes they'll be like, sure, I'd love to. Um, Judah is my favorite when he prays because I have no idea um, what the three-year-old is, is going to pray. Um, it's always a surprise sometimes. Um, some of them, like Jack, Jack, Jack Reese, is a little bit more reluctant sometimes to pray. Sometimes he will, but a lot of times he's like, uh, I want you to. But you tell them and you, you try to coach them into this. Even with teenagers that I work with, we, we were talking this past Wednesday night. We said, hey, would you, would you like to pray right before the sermon? And the little girl was like, no, um, not in front of people. Um, I I can pray, but I, I don't like to do that in front of lots of people. I feel like they're going to examine everything that I say. Like, well, some of them will, but they don't understand. They don't get it, right? Uh, but, but praying, it should be something that's fairly simple. But yet we're instructed all throughout God's word on how to pray. Jesus even gives us a model prayer that he does for the disciples. But here we find in these verses, I want to read them to you, then we're going to kind of go take them uh, just a little piece at a time. But Colossians chapter 4, he's writing this, starting in verse 2, says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open, us, open to us a door for the word, 
to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So this first little verse, he's really in verse 2, he's really telling them, like, hey, this is how you should pray. He says this idea of continue is what he starts with. It's the idea that, hey, look, I know that you're already praying, or at least you should be. I'm going to assume that, that, you, that you pray. Hopefully you know a little bit how, but I want you to continue to pray. And as you're praying, let me give you a few pointers, just some reminders, just in case you need a few tips. And he says this, he says, be steadfast, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, steadfastly, that can mean a few things, right? One, I think it means constant. Steadfast would be, would be constant to me. And so he's asking them to be constant in their prayer. You can go back to 1 Thessalonians, where we, we're, we're asked in 517, I think, to pray continually, right? That all the time we are to be constantly in prayer. It's not something that we just pull out in emergency, Tell teenagers sometimes, like, look, you, you should pray more than just for your food, and you should pray more than just for the test that you didn't know was going to happen that day. It should be something more than that. Prayer is not like the, the, the life vests that are supposedly under your seat on an airplane. I've never really checked. But they tell you, like, your seat can be used as a flotation device in the case of an emergency. I don't want that emergency to happen. I really, really don't want that emergency to ever happen. I don't want to have to know, like, does this seat cushion actually float? But sometimes I feel like there are people that, that their prayer life works that way. That a lot of times maybe it is just kind of, God, thank you for my food. Help it, you know, to go down without choking me and bless it to the nourishment of my body and my body to your service because that's what I hear lots of people pray. Um, and then they'll find other times where it's, well, God, this circumstance has come up, and so, God, now I need prayer for this. This illness has happened. This has happened in my family. This has happened to somebody that I know. This has happened to me. Um, God, I now need a job. Now I need this, and God, now I need this, and God, now I need this. And in these emergencies that kind of come up, people will kind of pray for those things. But prayer should be much more than that. Our constant prayer should be basically talking to God about everything. Because he's our Father, we should be able to talk to him about whatever we want to talk to him about. Every morning about, I say 7 o'clock, it's really about 7.05 because I can never get my act. So every Sunday morning, 7.05, I call my father. Mostly because I knew growing up that he called his father at 7 o'clock every Sunday morning. And in those conversations, usually for about 30 minutes before most people in my house are up, I can, can sit and I can talk to him. This morning we talked about fishing. Uh, we talked about their not so great fishing trip to Lake Fork that they took. Um, we talked about uh, we talked about the weather. Uh, we talked about the baptisms that were happening in our church this morning. Uh, we talked to him about my mom. I talked about my sister. Um, I talked to him about the boys, and he told me how he wished they were there to drink coffee with him. And I said that's the only time they ever get coffee because it doesn't happen at my house because coffee stunts your growth. <laughs> um, and so we'll talk about all these different things. But really, I know that with my dad, there's really there there. There's nothing that I can think of that I can't talk to him with. Now, on the other hand, I know that not everybody has the same relationship with their father, so I would also tell you that my father was, is probably the best representation of, of God that I, I could possibly know. When you first meet people and you think to yourself, like, oh, okay, God is heavenly father. For me, that was easy. For some people, it's not so easy. But when you think about that in, in a wonderful relationship, this constant idea of prayer it should be an easy thing to talk to God about absolutely everything. He knows everything anyway, so why not talk to him about that? 
Lee and I were, were discussing some things, and she told me, she's like, John, I've I just got to talk about this. this. is how I process things. I need to talk about things with someone. I'm like, okay, well, I, when I hear things, I like to fix them and then be done with it. She said, no, no, no. I just need to talk about it to just get it out and talk about it, and then we'll come back, we'll have the same exact conversation again. That's what I need to do in processing things. And I understand that's kind of the way that maybe girls work and guys are not that way. Um, but this idea of constantly talking is how prayer should work. This idea of being steadfast and being constant, not just in emergencies, always talking to God. There's also this idea, I think, that's here that we can find, this idea of, of stubbornness. Of steadfast almost being the same thing as stubborn, which most of the time we, we think about stubborn as being a bad thing, right? My, my three-year-old Judah is stubborn. If he's the definition of stubborn. In everything that he does, stubborn. It's a joy to try and potty train him. It's not a joy at all. It's not, and that's a lie. Um, but there are just things that, that like, I, it, it just, I know that if I ask him, tonight, when we get home from church, I'm going to, I'm going to, Judah, it's time for your bath. I can tell you right now what's going to happen because it's the same thing every night because he's stubborn. He will tell me no. And then we'll go through this conversation of, you cannot tell me no. I'm your father. If I ask you to do things, you can't tell me no. And then he'll follow up by telling me no, because he's stubborn. But sometimes stubborn is a good thing. I get to, in the summertime, one of my favorite things I get to do, we call it lunch with John, because I'm about simple names. Um, and so on Tuesdays, I go to eat lunch with junior high students. They come, they meet me at church, um, and then we just wander off into the community somewhere, hoping that someone will take us in. Um, and we'll go to a restaurant. Sometimes we get there, and the people at the restaurants are like, because when like 25 to 30 middle school students show up, it's, it's, they want the business, I think, but they really weigh it in their minds. Like, is this going to be worth it? Um, but we'll go and we'll eat at different places and we'll go on Thursdays with high school. Um, and it's great. One of my favorites is when we can go to a restaurant and they try to sit us down all at the same table. They don't do that very much, but every once in a while we'll find some place and they'll try to get us all at the same table. And I love that because I can kind of watch. And it just, it's the curiosity in me. I just enjoy watching them talking with each other and kind of how they work and what they talk about. I love having us all at one big table together. Not long ago, uh, we were at a, a Mexican restaurant and uh, we were there. There were like 25 of us all at one table. And I loved kind of watching this to see who's going to pray. It's just a curious, something inside of me. As a youth minister, I, I don't know. But I'll watch and I'm like, all right. Because sometimes they'll like pray in a pocket. They'll be like, all right, we're going to pray down here and we'll, everybody else can just, you know, have indigestion because they didn't pray for their food. But we're going to pray for ours down here. And then some people I watch, like the stubborn ones that know, like have been ingrained in their mind, like I cannot eat until I've prayed. Because there are a few of those, and I'm thankful for those. They'll sit there. And the food will come and it'll be sitting there and they'll be like, all right. I was the first one with my food. I've got to wait till the people around me have their food before I can eat because that's proper manners. The chips, I already ate those, but those are pre-blessed. Um, so, like, I, I, like here, here's the deal. And they'll look around, and they'll just sit and wait. And sometimes you can even see them. They'll watch somebody else take a bite of their food, and they'll be like, mm-hmm. Not doing it. And then sometimes they'll give up, and they'll be like, hey, John. John, are we going to pray? 
And if they ever ask me that, I'm like, sure, go ahead. <laughs> and then I'll just quiet the whole table and be like, hey, um, Kate's going to pray. Um, and, you know, that'll happen. And sometimes I'll get somebody at the middle of the table, but it's always fun to me to watch some of those that they'll just kind of wait and, and because they know I'm supposed to pray. Sometimes that kind of stubbornness can be good. I also worry a little bit less about those kinds of students because I know there's a little bit of discipline that's going on in their life. Sometimes some spiritual disciplines that are there in their lives as well. Sometimes stubbornness can be a good thing, especially here when he says be steadfast in prayer. Be stubborn. Pray about stuff. Don't go off on your own. Try to accomplish things on your own. Do stuff on, on your own wisdom. He says be steadfast. Be stubborn about praying about things. Then he goes on this. says continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. This idea of watchful for us. Um, so th this, this idea that prayer is not a substitute for awareness. You with me? So if you go all the way back to Nehemiah and that story, um, I've got to look at my notes here. So Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 9 says this. says, we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So Nehemiah is trying to build the wall, but he knows in, in trying to build back the walls of Jerusalem and all those wonderful things that he's trying to do, there's, the enemy is always around him trying to watch and find a time when they can attack and keep the wall from being built. And what he does is not just say, hey, we're going to gather together, we're going to pray, say, God, please protect us, and then we're going to go out and build our walls. But you know the story of Nehemiah. He doesn't do just the prayer. He says, you know what, on top of us praying, I'm also aware enough to know what's happening around me. So while you're building the wall, have a sword on as well. And we're going to set a watch. Day and night, we are going to be aware of what's going on around us. We're going to pray, but we're also going to be aware of what's going on around us. That's the idea that's happening here. So continue steadfastly in prayer, but also being watchful in it. It's the idea of kind of crossing a street that if you looked around like, oh, look, a bus is coming. Lord, please don't let that bus hit me as I step out into the street. That's not smart. God also tells us that we can use our own wisdom and, and ask us to pray for wisdom. And I think sometimes God gives us enough wisdom to know some things not to do because we are aware of what's going on around us. So prayer is not a substitute for awareness. So it's this idea of sometimes even being aware of a bigger picture. When Jesus is teaching the disciples about praying, one of the lines in the Lord's Prayer is, your kingdom come and your will be done, right? It's also being aware that it's not just our will when we're praying. I wish it worked that way. Actually, I'm glad it doesn't. But sometimes I really wish it did. Because sometimes I think to myself, God, if you would just hear my circumstances, God, this is what I would like for you to do. So God, please do those things. I would like for you to heal this person because I love them. I would like for you to do these things because this is what I think would be best. But when I do that, I'm treating God as if he's like a genie under my control. And that's not who God is. God is not under my control. God is much, much, much bigger than that. And so when I pray, I'm also saying, God, this is what I would like for you to do. But if you don't, God, help me to, to be aware enough of your will to fall into that. God, if it doesn't happen that way, then please let me be part of it. Our pastor has given you the illustration several times about his trip to Utah. And when he went praying and knocking on the door saying, God, please don't let anybody home. Please don't let anybody be home. It's one of my favorite stories. Because it's one of those times you're like, all right, God's will may not be that no one's home. 
And so when God doesn't answer the prayer the way that I want it to be answered, may I be aware enough of his will to do what I'm supposed to do in the circumstances that I'm given. When we pray, God, bring someone to know you as Savior. It's a great prayer. Sometimes we want that to happen like some miraculous way or like, like Paul, where God just kind of blinds them with a light for a little while. Like, does it? Sometimes I think God would answer that and say, all right, go tell them about the gospel. I'm like, all right, God, like, I, want, I want them to come to know you, but I don't, I don't necessarily want to be the one to have to have that responsibility of going and telling them. So why don't you just send somebody else? And maybe God doesn't work that way. And so it's us being aware, being watchful of what God wants to do in his will, not necessarily ours. So continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, and then with thanksgiving. So again, we go back to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. You and I are supposed to give thanks regardless of what our circumstances are. Every prayer that we have should include thankfulness to God. I have four little boys that run around my house. I tell you about them almost every time I get to be in front of you. They're like little stair steps. Um, and one of them step doesn't really go very far right now. It kind of rolls. Um, but, but we're there. And at my house, I can tell you that if you were to kind of come and just like be there and just watching, you would think to yourself, wow, these people are crazy. Um, but on top of that, you might notice there's not a lot of thankfulness. Sometimes it's, hey, I need my milk. Like, hang on. Like, let, let's, let's go re-examine the way that you have asked for your milk. Like, could, could you maybe throw a please in there? And then when it comes and is delivered to you, to your hand, nice ice-cold milk, how about a thank you to go with it? Or better yet, when you ask for something, before you ask, maybe it could be a, this would be awesome, this would be wonderful. Hey, Dad, thank you so much for being the wonderful example that you are to me. <laughs> Thank you for, for, for clearly setting a godly example for me and my brothers. Um, God, thank you so much for, for all that you have done for me and uh, that you've given me. Uh, Father, dearest, uh, could you please now make me a milk? I would probably think to myself, well, well of course I will. <laughs> this is miraculous. If, if I work that way, I feel like there's part of God that works the same way. Not that God is like me by any means. But I think that sometimes we can come to him and say, God, thank you so much. If our prayers maybe started with thankfulness instead of this emergency prayer of, oh my gosh, here's my circumstances, God, please help me. But God, thank you. And it says in all circumstances. Because sometimes our circumstances don't automatically prompt us to thankfulness. But God, God if I've got nothing else to be thankful for, Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that, that I've got eternal life secure with you. And when my circumstances seem hopeless, thank you that I have eternal hope. So let me, let me start there, God. And now let me, let me present my prayer to you with thankfulness. So he kind of gives this instruction on prayer in verse 2. But in verse 3, it's kind of the shift of, all right, now that I've told you how to pray, let me give you some things to pray for, um, namely me. So verse 3 says this. It says, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, 
there's kind of a paradox that's going on. Paul's basically saying, like, hey, pray for us as we preach the word. But preaching the word is kind of what got us in prison. So if we preach the word, we're going to end up in prison again. But we want you to pray that the word gets preached. But we also want to pray that, that we could have some freedom here. Pray that the doors get open so that the gospel can get out. We'd, we'd maybe like to get out of this circumstance, but at the same time, if we get out, we're just going to preach again and probably end up back where we are. It's this paradox that's going on. Well, we want to pray for this, but the, this we kind of both things happening at the same time, it's kind of a weird thing. It's almost kind of like when you ask someone to pray for you that you would have patience, which everyone in this room knows not to do, Right? You know this. Like you, you hear people tell you this all the time. Don't ever, don't ever tell someone to pray for patience because God's going to give you circumstances in which you need to be patient. Right? We all know this. And when you and I sit and we say, all right, God, I, I need some patience with my children. I know exactly what's going to happen next. Something that's going to test my patience. And that kind of a paradox is almost what's kind of what's happening here. He's saying, look, pray that the gospel goes, pray that we have freedom to preach but preaching is what got me in jail without freedom. But pray that it goes forward. It's this idea of him kind of being aware that there's even something bigger going on, saying, hey, look, pray that the word, there's a door open for the word to go forward, and I realize that I'm not the only one that can do it. So while you're praying for that, be aware maybe that God's asking you to do that because I'm in jail. But pray that the gospel goes forward. Then he goes into verse 4. It says this. It says that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. How I ought to speak, but not how I speak. And it's Paul talking. The man who's in prison for preaching. But he doesn't write here, pray that the gospel goes forward and that it's clear, which is how I speak all the time. But he says, it's how I ought to speak. For most of us, how we ought to speak and how we speak may not be exactly the same. A couple of days ago, we were uh, playing basketball in my driveway, um, which if any of you have seen my house, you know that my driveway is about a 45-degree angle. It makes it very interesting. But at the very top, it's a little bit flat. Um, so we play basketball there together, and we were there, and John Henry said, John, uh, just, John, he said, Dad, um, someone's coming up the, uh, up the driveway. I said, really? I don't see anybody looking around the car that we use to block the balls from going all the way into the neighbor's house. Um, and so we're looking, and finally this, this girl is walking up our driveway, and she's, that's a big hill. I was like, it's not that bad. Just, you know, just walk it a few times every day, and it's, it's no big deal. She's like, I walk for a living, and this is a big hill. I'm like, I'm, would you like a glass of water? Uh, she's like, uh, yes, but let me tell you some things first. And she begins to give me this pitch on she's selling home security systems, which is always kind of a weird thing anyway, like people that come to your door. Like, I always think, of them, this is just me, the cynical me, like, do you want to know information about my house because you're going to come rob it? <laughs> Do you want to know what kind of... I have a security system. It's amazing. Let me start with that. Even though it might not be that amazing. Um, but I'm starting there, right? But we, she goes into her sales pitch and she begins to talk with me and I begin to kind of talk back with her. And it took, I don't know, maybe two or three minutes and um, she, she kind of stopped and we were kind of talking back and forth and telling her about some, some things. And she said, are you about to tell me about Jesus? 
I said, well, yeah, I was getting there. And she said, you're the third person that I come and try to talk to them about home security systems, and they want to talk to me about Jesus. She said, I just stopped at this guy, and she, she said, do you know a guy named Bill Reed? And I said, I know a guy named Bill Reed. Uh, he's, a, he's a pastor here in town um, at Calvary. Yes, I talked to him and his wife for an hour and a half. And she said, his wife gave me a book to read because I shared with her about how I had my faith in Jesus, but I was still trying to figure some things out. She's like, I'm a student at Weber State in Utah. And she begins to go in the story about how I'm in Utah and I'm surrounded by lots of people that are, say that they're Christians, but they're really not. Um, and she's like, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go to their church, but like there's one of those churches on every single corner and I'm trying to figure this out for myself and, and how I'm going to follow Christ. And I am a Christian, but I'm still trying to figure some things out. And so I talked to her for about an hour and a half. And now here you are trying to tell me about Jesus too. And like, you're telling me these things and like let's so fine let's just talk about Jesus for a while and we did we sat together and, and the boys are, are playing basketball Lee had no idea what was going on and she's like trying to figure out where I am and if I'm keeping an eye on the children which I kind of was um, and like all this stuff is happening um, but this idea for, for, for a few moments how I ought to speak matched up with how I spoke but it's not all the time that's, that's probably the rare case. And Paul, when he's writing, he says, hey, pr pray, that, pray that how I speak is how I ought to speak. That's a good prayer. That's probably something we could all start with every day. Whether you're talking to people that you know really well, whether you're talking to your spouse, whether you're talking to your children, whether you're talking to strangers, people that you work with, If we could pray and say, God, let, let my speech be how I ought to speak. That's a pretty good prayer. Paul goes through all these things. And none of this is really new. Even this, where he's, he's kind of concluding with this kind of story, but yet a challenge of, God, let me, let, me, let me speak how I ought to speak. It's kind of still a challenge for the people that are reading this of, hey, you know what you're supposed to be talking about. You know how you ought to speak, so go do that. It's all based on this kind of continue word at the very beginning. You know what you're supposed to be doing. Now just do it. So for us, what kind of adjustments do you need to make in your prayer life? There's, there's usually a, a tweak here or there that we need to do. Maybe it's pray a little bit more. Maybe it's pray more specifically. Maybe it's, I don't know something usually for, for all of us. But then on top of maybe our, our prayer life, maybe as Paul kind of goes on here, it's not just about prayer, but it's also about practicality. Like what kind of adjustment do we need to make in our practical life, the way that we live out our prayer life? I don't know what that is for you. But I know that for most of us in the room, we kind of know how we ought to pray. We kind of know how we ought to speak. It's just a matter of doing what we ought to do. And I think that's really what Paul's getting at here. You know to do it. So now go do it. Pray how you're supposed to pray. Talk how you're supposed to talk. Live how you're supposed to live. And that is how the gospel goes forward. As he prays and he says, let, let there be a door open for the gospel.
probably how the gospel goes forward. One story for you, we'll be done. A friend of mine named Eric Johnson, um, always respected him and uh, was always a good friend to me. I uh, met him here at Louisiana Tech University, and he was older than I was, but um, just a good godly example, um, even as a college student. I remember talking with him one day, and uh, I remember him coming and telling me, he's like, you know what, John, I've stopped, I've stopped asking and praying for opportunities to share the gospel. I'm like, Eric, that's crazy. Like, why in the world? You can't stop asking for opportunities to share the gospel. But instead, he said, instead of praying that, I'm praying that God will help me take advantage of the opportunities that I already have. Okay, it's kind of a holier-than-thou statement, but all right. I mean, I, I get it. Maybe it's just adjustments like that in our prayer life. The opportunities are there. The doors, I think, are open for a lot of us. It's just talking how we ought to talk, living how we ought to live in those opportunities. I want to pray with you. We'll have a time of invitation. I'll be down front if you'd like to come and pray with me. I'd love to do that with you. There's just things that you need to talk about with God in your seat. It's wonderful as well. But let's pray together, and we'll sing together. Father God, we do love you, and we do thank you. Thank you for your word and how plain it is sometimes. I thank you that it, Father, very clearly shows me the adjustments that need to be made. Father, as we leave this place, may we, Father, pray more like we're supposed to be praying. Constantly with you. Uh, steadfast. Father, being watchful and being thankful. Father, on top of our prayer, may we go and live that out. Father, practically sharing the gospel with people. Father, whatever the circumstances are, whatever uh, fears may come along with it, Father, help us to take advantage of the opportunities that we have to talk about you. And then, God, we look forward to what you're going to do and thank you ahead of time for how you're going to work in and through us. Father, be with us even during this time as we reflect on you and your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray.